from Acts 17, 16 through 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the, to the um, area Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing some, something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objections of your wor- the object observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I, this I proclaim to you: the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the, of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us today. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard all, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is God's word. Praise God. Thanks, sweetie. That's okay. It's my boo. Um, hey, let's, uh, before you before you seated, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. I want to pray for, for us and myself, and also want to pray for our, our youth, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to sing out and just uh, um, just, just brag about you, tell you who you are, who you know yourself to be. And um, I just pray the Holy Spirit, you're doing a work in our hearts, Jesus, right now. And Lord, we are very thankful uh, that we are not uh, dead in sin and separated from you, but you have, you have made us alive. Uh, you took something dead, something that was your enemy, and you made it your friend. You gave him and her life. 
And uh, if there's anyone in this room right now who are still experiencing that deadness through religiosity, apathy, or even straight up rebellion, Lord, we pray um, that you would do a work today to minister to our hearts to see that, man, life apart from Christ is not life at all. So we pray for that, Lord. Would you, would you bring new life uh, to any dead thing here? And uh, we pray for your word to go forth. I come before you and ask, Jesus, would you use me? I, um, in myself, I'm going to be speaking in pithy sayings and, and, and cool things. Um, but that means nothing if it's not filled with your spirit. And so we don't want it to be about me. We don't want it to be about anyone in this room. We really want it to be about you. So would you protect the words? Would you allow the oracles of, of Christ to be made known and the gospel to be clear? And Jesus, I am humbled that you have seen it fit to make me a pastor to preach your word. And uh, Jesus, we pray for our young people. We are so thankful that they get to go off and hear the good news of Christ through such leaders who walk with you and are our desire to yield to your Holy Spirit. And we pray for that, that they'll be filled with your spirit, walking in your ways, excited to proclaim the goodness of Christ and the hope we have in our Savior. And we pray that our kids will be connecting with each other, building community, and also just learning a little bit more about salvation. And we pray that each one of our kids, Lord, we pray each one will be saying yes to you and walking with Christ. And that you'll use this time to continue to solidify that reality. We trust you, Jesus. We love you. Have your way. In Christ's name, amen. Be seated, fam. Um, uh, Elder, is, uh, Matthew is passing out Bibles and also sermon note um, pages if you need them. So go ahead and raise your hands for those. Uh, you know our heart is to have us getting used to being in the scriptures and reading the word. So we want to ask you to grab a Bible and get used to navigating that. It would be great. We are in uh, the book of Acts, as you know, so get your pens out. Let's get ready to rock and talk through um, what's going on in Acts chapter 17, uh, the last portion before we hit 18. Uh, It's exciting times as we're learning more about uh, what God is doing as he's developing and growing and nurturing, um, as it were, uh, this new humanity that's come on the scene because of the cross. Uh, So that's what we're talking about right now. I'm going to ask you guys to make sure you go ahead and and, uh, ask questions if there are some that can minister to the whole body. Um, If you have something specific, come see me. As a a kingdom um, uh, body here, our heart is to preach the scriptures, and so we go through books of the Bible. That's our posture. Um, We've been through many books. You can check our our, our website and and catch up and learn some stuff. Hopefully, um, we're in Acts right now. We've been in Acts for about over a year. We'll be in a little longer. Um, So we got some time. Praise the Lord. We're trying to know what God is saying and trying to live our lives in light of who he is and his world. So that's our our desire for um, taking time in the scriptures and kind of going through the word. All right. Um, I'm going to jump right in because we got a lot to cover. That was a big passage that my my sweetheart wife, Sarah, read. Um, Really good stuff in that passage. Right. So we're going to um, chop it up. And the first I want to give us is a brief snapshot as we look at our um, uh, the map real quick. I just want to remind us, you know, I don't someone had a big red dot thingy. Who had that? I don't know if we had it right now, because my little dot was a, a, a joke to y'all. Y'all laughed me off the stage last time. And so I didn't even grab it because I felt so bad. So um, what I know, that's what y'all did. See what y'all did, y'all pastor? So, um, so what I want to tell you, though, the red line going from the, the bottom of the, the beginning of the red line up north is was the, the journey that Paul has taken on his second missionary journey, okay? And if you go uh, toward the west and continue to go up, you'll see words like Iconium, Antioch. You see Troas up to uh, 
up further uh, northwest. Uh, what was happening is, you know, P- uh, Paul and the crew got there. They didn't know what to do now. Uh, the Holy Spirit had led them. This is them pre- preaching the gospel, trying to let the world know that Jesus is, a- is alive and risen and talking to the Jews and then also to the Gentiles. Uh, the Holy Spirit tells him, cross over basically uh, to to Europe and preach the gospel. And so they do that and they head up in, uh, to Philippi. And we saw how, oh, so that's how the, the, the book of the Philippians came about, right? They're preaching to the Philippians. The church is raised up by God's grace. There's huge drama. They get beat down. Uh, they're in prison, but God saves them. Uh, they continue to move on uh, to Thessalonica, which is what we looked at uh, last, last week, Thessalonica, um, where they preach the gospel to these individuals and kind of hesitantly people begin to um, walk with Jesus and then they move on, continue on down the road uh, many miles to Berea where it says that they're more noble than the Thessalonians. They receive the good news of Jesus. Uh, so God is, is graciously growing his church in the midst of persecution, in the midst of people um, not really getting that discipleship that they even need that's extremely essential. Um, Paul go ahead, goes ahead and leaves because for some reason they're coming. Remember the haters were in Thessalonica trying to get Paul out of there. He runs, goes to Berea. They travel to Berea and say, hey, no, we want to get these guys. Um, Paul's cohort stays and says, hey, Paul, you go. We'll stay. They stay. Paul is waiting for them to um, come and visit him. And where is he waiting? He goes down to Athens, which is where we find our passage today. So now he's in Athens waiting for his crew. But you know, Paul ain't going to waste no time. So let's see what Paul does while he's in Athens, okay? Uh, Go put your head down. You should be looking at verse 16. Real quick, just want to encourage you. We're in Athens, and you guys are familiar that Athens is kind of like uh, one of the meccas of being a socialite, right? Um, and think about antiquity. We always ask you, don't go into the scriptures with a mind of a person of 2015. You really want to, at some level, try to first think about what does it mean for a first century Jew or Greek person to hear these words, to understand that culture, to understand like where they are at. And that's going to help us know what was going on then, what Paul or whatever writer, this will be Luke, was trying to say to them then. And then from understanding that, can we now move to now applying the word, hopefully in the most accurate fashion, okay? Well, what I want to just remind us about Athens is Athens is kind of like... Um, I would say the New York or California of today. Uh, one thing I love about um, uh, me and Sarah, we, make, we, make, we, we laugh because when we were in Boston, we spent a few years in Boston when I was getting my, my master's, and we laughed because she was, she was working at this place called Bertucci's. And, and the people literally, uh, one time she was talking about being a fellow Hoosier, and one lady said, what's a Hoosier? You know, like, like they had no clue. That was my fatal attempt of a Boston accent. I'm so glad the body's gracious to me. They had no clue what that was. What? Is he just mad? No, just try it, you know. But listen, in the midst of that, that was jacked up. Here's the point of the story. Point of the story, all right, is that the lady had no, she had no clue what a Hoosier was. Like, and, and the joke a lot of times in the, in the, on the West Coast and the East Coast, I wonder if Mike can speak to this, is like, what, what's going on in the middle of America? Because we, this is where it's at, right? So it's kind of like, like, we just fly over y'all, like, and then we do culture, right? That's kind of the mindset a lot of times as we talk to people, especially in New York City. I mean, it's like, and you can, you probably see, I mean, it's like, this is where it's at. What are you, Ohio, what, what are y'all doing in Ohio, right? So, so, 
I'm from Cleveland, right? But that's just how it is. So, so Athens was like where you, when you felt like you were a socialite, that you had arrived as a social elite person. Like you knew culture, culture was developed in Athens. This was huge. I mean, that's what you get if you go to Greece and you, you see all the, the huge things that they build and all the things of antiquity. Like that's where the culture was, right? So I say that because you got cats like, um, that was a native to Socrates, right? Um, um, I think Plato, uh, actually, uh, and I think it was an adopted home of Aristotle. So you're talking about some of the, the, the best minds of antiquity all kind of found themselves in this place. So that's, that's where he's head. That's where he's at right now. He's like in the cultural hotbed. Um, and we're going to see some of the ramifications of that, too, as you read the text. You're going to see that. Um, Sandra. Yes, before. Yeah, no, thank you. So, so um, Sis is asking, Sandra is asking, uh, were they there before, right? So what you have is you have um, uh, the Hellenization of the world. Um, you guys, in, in your history books, I really didn't, wasn't excited about history actually until I became a Christian, which is sad. I wish I would have been excited about it my whole life. But, um, and what happened was basically Alexander the Great came and conquered basically the known world. Okay, and so when he did that, he basically Hellenized, made the world, as it were, Greek. And so you, so you had all these different cultures, but to really be like you was down and you knew what was going on and you understood life and you was one of the big dogs, you wanted to learn Greek culture, you wanted to learn a language. And that's why a lot of individuals, when they found themselves saying, hey, I'm of a social high status, they would give their kids Greek names, Right. And uh, so we can, that's why you see things like Nicodemus and John chapter three, having a Greek name and things of that sort It's because he was like, it was trying to show that he was a social elite, right? Not just a Pharisee, but as a Pharisee, I was a man. My name is Nicodemus. I'm a Jew, but I got a Greek name. So, so to her point, all those guys were like big mind people. Uh, Alexander the Great had conquered the world, had made everybody kind of realize that Greek was where, where it was. And then you got some of these guys that rose up during that time. So. Um, so that's what was going on. So this is Athens. That's what's going on there. In that kind of framework where cultural's thriving, um, Athens is awesome. He's right there in this place. It's super, I would dare say, pagan place because they're too smart for Jesus, right? And it started in verse 16. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked with him as he saw that the city was full of idols, Okay. So it starts off by saying, Paul goes off. Remember, he was about to get beat down. They put him in a boat, right? And he goes off and he's in Athens. And he goes and he's walking around and he's checking things out. And it just sounds like, man, he was, he was kind of frustrated and, and mad and almost like just provoked. Like his spirit just was down and out because of the, you can experience the spiritual warfare because he saw all these individuals worshiping fake things, right? Has that ever happened to you? Have you just been indignant where you just, where, where you've been in a place that's happened, that's happened to me a few times where you just, you're just like, man, this seems so decrepit. People are so just denouncing God that you just get almost, there's a righteous anger. Like what is going on here? Right. I'm praying for that. I feel like I've, I've been somewhat desensitized and I'm praying for that kind of sensitive spirit that I would, that my heart would be painful. Just, just pain when I'm seeing people not honor the true savior. 
So he's checking it out. He's like, man, this is, my stomach is kind of sick. And he says, uh, they're worshiping gods that are no gods at all, right? In verse 17, he says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. So he checks it out. He does a lay of the land, checks out the spiritual climate, which is what a good missionary does, right? You don't go in to start clowning. You check it out. And so he checks out the, missional, the, the, the missionary climate. It's crazy. And it says, so then he went to synagogue, right? And so now, isn't that interesting? Now, remember, we were at some other places, and there was no synagogue, right? But there's a synagogue, synagogue here in Athens. But we're further away. Remember where the, where the map was. We're further away, as it were, away from the hotbed of Judaism. Well, I want to propose to you, isn't that how it is in big city life? Right? Big city life, you have some of everything, right? It's just, it's just part of the culture. So they had some of everything. The question is, what were they worshiping, though? So he goes there, and so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplaces every day with those who happened to be there. I love this because Paul is, in verse 17, simply, you know, you can just think almost, hey, man, I'm supposed to be waiting for my boys to come, like, and then we're going to figure out our game plan. But while I'm here, I'm going to do some ministry. So Paul goes, he, he's still there. He's in the synagogue. He's figuring out ways to, uh, to talk to people about Jesus and didn't even wait for his friends from the north to come. I love that. I love that tenacity of Paul. And then it says in verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Right. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and a resurrection. So I love this (laughs) again. They now think about this. We've gone through passages where basically Jesus is turning the city upside down. Right, where everybody's hearing and knows what's going on, and people are mad because people are coming to Christ, and and here they have no clue about this Jesus. You notice that, like almost like they're like, well, this, they call they, they call him slang terms, babbler. Right, what is this? What is this dude saying? He's preaching. He's preaching foreign divinities. Like this is like you ain't even preaching regular pagan stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all preaching fake stuff, but you on some other stuff. Who is Jesus? Right? They're like, man, this brother's on some other stuff because he was preaching Jesus and a resurrection. Um, again, it likens to New York and California where, you know, things are going on there. And you think, you know, you're in Detroit and things are happening here. You're like, we, it's off the chain. You know, this thing in, in, in Cleveland, we grew up eating this thing called uh, Polish Boy. You know what I'm saying? I don't mean nothing to y'all, see what I'm saying? But to us, it was the bomb. You know, you had this big old hot dog with the fries and everything and the coleslaw. And I'm eating it. It's like, it's like legendary in Cleveland, right? And then I go up to visit my cousins in New York. And I start bragging about the Polish boy. And, you know, they start calling me country. Now, I'm from the city. You know what I'm saying? I'm man, from the city. So, they, start call, they start calling me country, man. I'm still struggling with that. It was like 30 years ago. I don't know. I don't know for that. My point, guys, is that in this, in this city, like, I love the fact that there's so much culture that going on. They had no clue. And they're almost making fun of, of what was going on with these guys. And so you can tell right now that there's such a sense of self-sufficiency in this city. Right? There's such a sense of, like, we, we're smart. We, we know what to argue about, what not to argue about. We know what's in and what's not in. We make and we develop the culture, right? Now, theologically, these guys are continuing to paint the picture to you. They were pantheistic, a lot of these cats were, in this day and age, right? So they believed that, that basically 
pantheism in the United States took kind of like, like everything and, and molded it together, right? That the, the world had a soul almost, right? That's what their deal. I mean, it's kind of really, really crazy stuff. So they're believing that the world is alive in itself, but they're thinking it's, a reason, it's a reason, um, not reasonable to believe in this Jesus and the resurrection. Like, we believe that, yeah, the world's alive, but you, you crazy, Right? And so they call him these slang terms. So then what happens, he's talking to these guys. He's, re- he's presenting to them. They're kind of going, you're, you're kind of weird. This country dude, what you do? What you talking about, man? And then it says in verse 19, and then they took him. They said, well, okay, we don't know. What you, it sounds like you, you, this is a religious thing you're talking about. So let me, let's come over here. I want to bring you to uh, these guys, the Areopagus, right? Areopagus. It says, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? Because they couldn't get it. They didn't understand. So you say, why, why bring them to these guys? Well, verse 20 says, for you bring some strange, strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, their, their Areopagus, uh, they were, they were kind of the people who kind of had the jurisdiction over the religion. Okay? So when you wanted to talk religion or religious things, that was like, that was like their framework. So you, you brought it over to them, and then they would confirm if that was appropriate or not. So this wasn't an issue of, of Paul getting in trouble or, or about to go to jail. This was really an issue of, like, we don't know what you're talking about. We want to understand, so we're going to go to the, basically the religious police and see if what you're saying has any validity. All right? And then these guys are like, okay, tell me, tell me about your religion, and I'll kind of validate if it's cool or not. This is, this is the area we're in. Can you imagine? So you notice we haven't talked about what's true or not yet. We just got men determining what they're going to decide on at this stage, right? So he wasn't on trial. He, he then expounds his teaching before these experts. I love Paul. Because think about it, guys. So you first, you start talking to your, your fellow Jewish brothers. They're looking at you like you're crazy. Then you got some Greeks and individuals in the crowd, you know, you, and then they, you know, the, 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 uh, the philosophers and all these guys. And then they're kind of like, that's just weird. Wouldn't you kind of get a little, little discouraged when you kind of be like, man, I, I, they're laughing at me. I feel weird. Has that ever happened to you? Have you been nervous to preach Christ because you think someone's going to be like, man, you, you kind of holy rollers. What's wrong with you? You feel like that? So it's interesting. So now he, so he's getting laughed at a little bit. They look at him like, okay, let's go to the religious people, see what they think. But I love it. He's all right, cool. Let's go. Where they at? All right. I'll tell them too. That gives me, and what's cool about that, that gives me another opportunity to present the gospel. So that means that you probably heard it three times. This is great. Right? So, so they go on, it says in verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So again, the author wants to give you a picture because we've got to keep painting the culture because then God is going to, boom, hit us with what he wants us to understand in this passage, right? He's just painting the culture. So you've got these people, and you're like, you ever, you ever met people like this who are so much more concerned about insight versus truth? And what's the difference? You've got to be very careful. So if you're not at this church and you're at another church, wherever you are, be very careful of being passionate about truth, not insight. See, in American culture, we put a premium on insight. We actually don't put a premium on truth. We say, so Eric, last year you went through Acts. So this year, Eric, you need to go through Acts and you need to give me new insight. No, I don't. I need to give you truth. 
That means if I tell you the same thing and it's truth, you should like it. Right? Now, in our culture, we don't want that. We want you to, to scratch me and, and massage me. We want, we want you to know, no, that was too boring. You got to say it in a way that, oh, that was awesome, man. Such great insight. The way he said it and, and this thing. And, and I'm going, but was it true? I don't care how he said it. I don't care if it made you laugh, if it made you cry. I don't care if it manipulated your emotions. Was it true? And in our culture, we want, we want to get massaged. And, oh, man, I just love the way they say it this way. And I love their examples. And, oh, look at those analogies. Oh, he and she are just so in tune with the culture. That's all great. Was it true? Was it true? And these cats are like, that's what we, that's what we live for. We like to get up and say, hey, how cool are you going to say it today? And what new thing can you say? And what are you thinking about? And tell me something you like. <laughs> and no one's saying, is any of the stuff you're saying true? Is any of this truth or is it something really cool that you made up? So I just want us as, as your pastor, I, we want to encourage you as your leadership, always make sure great insight is great if it's truthful insight. Make sure that first it's truth. Take boring truth any day over awesome insight. Okay? I know you guys, we, we, I talk to people all the time, and my pastor, he's so boring. Okay, I'm like... Was he, was he preaching the gospel? Was he preaching the good news? And then you want, you want Creflo Dollar and you want all these other cats who are jumping around and kicking in the air and running around making you laugh and you crying and you giving out everything and all this stuff and they're teaching you doctrine of demons. Give me the born dude who's going to allow me to get to heaven. Give me the nerd. That's what's up, Edith. I think I talked about that point a little bit. So, <laughs> verse 22. So, he goes in and they want to hear something new. So, Paul, so now I get to a passage here which is very important. So, now here's where I would propose the author was trying to set everything up so we could hear something here. He was trying to set something up. He was trying to show you and me of a culture that was really full of himself. Right? Full of itself. Wow, they got culture. People hear the truth. They're like, dude, that's crazy. That ain't never been here before. It can't be good because we know what's going on. So you get a culture that's full of itself, that's prideful, that's self-sufficient, that is very educated, right? That is actually determining how the world operates and has their being. And then it says in verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I love this. So remember, calls them to the religious homies. He affirms their religion. He's not encouraging it. In fact, the theologians think he's just saying, hey, y'all, y'all look real superstitious. And basically, that's kind of the, the, what the term can mean. It's not like he's trying to just simply give common ground, but he is. He's kind of saying, y'all superstitious. I'm actually, I actually got good religion, but we'll just start there. All right. And then he says in verse 23, for as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I see all these dead things that y'all are worshiping made me realize that y'all are at least superstitious, right? Sitting around, crossing your fingers, jumping over cracks and all this silliness, right? I get it. Y'all are religious. And he says, he says, but as I'm walking around and looking at your demons, 
verse 23 says, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Love this. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. Now you see what he did there? I love this. He says, I'm walking around, checking out stuff. That one thing grabbed my attention. You remember that one? Yeah, on Pagan Street. That one, it, it caught me because there's something that you, you, you guys are saying. You're saying that there's a, a God and that you don't know him. And I agree with that. He says, but you know what? Let me, let me answer your question. It seems like you got a question. You know, that, why does the God have to be unknown? Well, he doesn't have to be unknown. Let me introduce you to the God who's, who's not unknown. And look what he does here. He says, I want to tell you the truth about him. And he hits him with verse 24. Now, this, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Now, notice how, how much, I mean, can you imagine, you talk about Holy Spirit feel, how he's ministering to every area of their brokenness. Look at this. The God who made, I'm going to dissect this a little bit, okay, guys? The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And I love this passage, fam, because this passage basically just gets to the essence of the gospel. Right? Look at a couple of things he does. Go back to your text there. You want to get your pen, get your pen out? First thing, he, he says, this God isn't made. Right? He, he's, he's not made with human hands. And you know what this is? This is, let me do two things. This is bad news to prideful people. And this is good news to broken people. A God not being made by you and by me is really bad news uh, to, to self-sufficient people. Why? Because, see, when you're self-sufficient, you actually think you bring something to the table. You think you can negotiate with God. You actually really think, no, not, no, a lot of people don't say this out loud, but a lot of us live like this. We think, oh, I'm doing this thing and that thing, and therefore God will dot, dot, dot. Or maybe if I be this person, then God will dot, dot, dot. Or man, I'm so awesome. I'm so nice. I know God is doing dot, dot, dot in my life. Do you see that? Do you see the self-sufficiency of that? Do you see the pride in that? Right? And I want to propose what Paul is doing right now. He's saying if any of us in this room, especially the first century Jew, he's looking at these, these, uh, these Athenians, these Greek people who have all the education and they got money and people are there popular in a developing culture. And he's saying, I know you think you have developed the world. You think you're awesome, but you are deluding yourself if you think your self-sufficiency makes you on negotiating terms with the Savior. And I love who's saying this. He's saying you're deluding yourselves. Guess who's saying it? This is Paul. This is Paul, the Pharisee. Right? The man who's one of the most educated men. He's probably the greatest theologian in the whole New Testament. He, he's been, he studied on the Greek people. He's a Roman citizen. As a Jew. You can't get better than that. The scripture says he's a Hebrew among Hebrews. He's the most popular. He has the religious... He's exceeded the heights of this ecclesiastical ladder. He's, he's moral. He fought for Yahweh. He killed people for Yahweh. He's done all these things. And he's looking at these people and he's saying, 
that basically what Jesus did was he removed all boasting. When Jesus showed that we needed him, he said, now no one can boast. He says, no, now your identity can't be in your race. It can't be in your culture. It can't be in your pedigree and what you have. That no one in here brings anything to a God who hasn't been made by you. Right? Now, can I pause before I talk about the good news? The sad thing, he's saying this for salvation, right? So Paul is saying, guys, don't you get it? You individuals who are worshiping these false guys, you're worshiping your education, you're worshiping your materialism, you're worshiping your, your, the people that you love and your family, all this stuff. He's talking about salvation. Cast those idols down and realize that, that he's not made by hands, so you can't be on those kind of terms of God. You need him. He doesn't need you. So he's showing that you need God. He's saying to these Greek people, I'm not just saying this is one of the options. You need Jesus. Right? Now, that's salvation. What's interesting as we take it to now and we apply it even in this room, I think that that's clearly America. Correct, right? That's America, our self-sufficiency. But I want us to pause and I want to propose to you that This is an issue for salvation, but also I believe it's an issue for sanctification. I propose that, you know, we were were caring for a godly woman yesterday in our home. And she came to me and she was just like, you know, we were talking and she was just like, I got my my husband who he loves loves the Lord. Um, But basically, for some reason, the glass ceiling has, has, has been created. And he's not praying. He's not leading our family. He's not, you know, he's a, he's a good worker. People respect him at his job. But man, I wish he was a spiritual leader. I wish he would, I wish he would guide our family with passion. I wish he would, he would lead us and say, let's go to church. We haven't gone to, I haven't gone to church with him in a month or so. You know, I look at my kids and he, he prays himself and he loves, he loves God. But man, my, my, my girls are turning out great. They're walking with the Lord. And my, my boys are, are bitter and resentful toward my dad because they feel like he didn't lead them spiritually. That's what she said. And I thought to myself, as I was praying over this passage and thinking about what God is doing in Acts 17, I thought, man, I wonder if an implication, because you know I'm very serious about how we interpret the text. First century Jew, he's talking to these guys about getting saved. But I wonder if there's something about the implication of of sanctification. That you and I, we come to Christ and we say, Lord, I am bankrupt. I need you. We come to Jesus and then we become sufficient. And we think, okay, now I will do this. Now I'll be a good businessman. And we forget the passion of pursuing and enjoying and, and seeing Christ continue to do that work in us because of our brokenness. We continue to acknowledge to him our bankruptcy. He continues to pour his grace upon us. That should basically be the framework of the Christian life. And I wonder what happens when you and I as people, and I'll especially speak to the men, because we are leading our families and our communities. What happens when the men pause and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the kingdom, praise God. When we won't passionately lead our families and say, I- I'm not the man. We got- I got to keep pointing you to Christ. Let's go to church. Let's pray together. Kids, I'm broken. Let me tell you, I did that. I'm sorry. I, I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And we model and show and, 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 and just continue to be bare before people because we realize that Christ has to do something in us. And when we don't do that, guys, 
I wonder if the same narrative happens to us even as we are in the kingdom. Where we, we were short-circuiting. I am so tired of seeing men be lackluster in their leadership and seeing women begging their men to lead. That's just an implication. I just see too many women who look at me and they don't want to put their men out. So they don't, they don't say anything, but they look at me with that, they look at that face that I've seen so many times. Where it's like, please help me. I can't, I love him. I'm not going to put him out. But man, I want him to realize his brokenness. He's not sufficient. I want him to point me to Jesus. Bad news to the prideful. When you're prideful and proposing, it hinders you from salvation. And I'm proposing it hinders you from sanctification. Here's the good news, though. You know what the good news is? If you're broken, if you're sitting here right now thinking, man, but you don't understand the sin in my life. Man, I've tried to walk with the Lord, and it didn't work out. I tried to do these things, and I'm still the same person I was four years ago. And you find like you want to give up, and you just think, I just don't know if I can do this. I'm just so weak. I'm so... I just, and the sin calls out to me and I find myself falling all the time and I find myself being a hypocrite and I'm just so tired of it. I'm just so broken and, and I'm hurting and I, and I don't know if I can do this. And I want to propose, actually, you're in a great place. You're in a great place because you realize you can't do it. Now, I want to propose that you're wrong in thinking you're supposed to do it. But what a beautiful place to be in when you realize that you're bankrupt and that you need a savior. The brokenness is, I, I, I love the good news and the fact that people who are the most jacked up, who, 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 who don't have all the pedigree, who don't have all the money, who don't have all the things, but when they say, man, I, I realize I, I don't have to, I, I want to love Christ. Christ says, I came for those people. You see that? He says, I need people to know that, that you didn't make me, I made you and I made you to worship me. And those kind of people, I like those people. I like the ex-drug addict. I like the individual who realizes, no, yeah, I'm jacked up, but guess what? Thank the Lord that I'm not the Savior he is. So I want to propose to you, if you're in a room right now, you're feeling like, well, I just don't know if I stack up with some of these other Macabers. No, that's a lie. They jacked up too. They just lying. Okay? Okay? I'm trying to look around here and let you know that God is saying today, I'm trying to be clear here. The gospel is for bankrupt, broken, evil people who can't help but sin. And then God says he wants you with tears in your eyes and on your knees say, Lord, I can't help but to sin. I like sinning, but I want to love you. I want to know you. He wants you to come. He wants to show you that he is faithful. He will grab you. He will lift you up. That there's nothing that you've done. That can hinder you from a relationship of a loving savior like Jesus. Nothing. So the broken person in this room, come to Christ. If you are bankrupt, he has a home for you. If you realize that you're negligent in your ways and you're evil, there's a place for you in Christ. If you realize that, man, your sin is too hard to carry and you just realize, man, you just all find yourself so evil and messed up in you and you want to see God, just come. This is good news for broken people. This is great news. But this is horrible news. If any of you self-sufficient here thinking, yeah, I came to Christ, but man, I really love the way I teach. I came to Christ, but man, I'm, I'm just so good at sharing my faith. Praise the Lord for me. You come here and you think, well, I just think I'm just such a good leader. I'm, I love the way my kids obey and, and my marriage is so intact. Wow. Man, God has been so good. Look at this. 
Look at you realize that man, you you don't you're bankrupt, and that even the good you do according to scriptures because God has been gracious to pour it out on you. Even the good you've done is not from you. I love it. He's not made. He's powerful. So the scriptures are about, you know, uh, uh, John Piper said once, you know, this is like the gospel is not a help wanted sign. It's a you need help sign. You know what I'm saying? Right. Ain't no, ain't you, and, that, and that's what can happen in a missional church like this. You, we, we start talking to you. I take you, we come over to my house for lunch and stuff. And we start telling you, we want you to lock arms with us and be on mission. And you think we need you. You're crazy. God don't need nobody up in here. He don't need none of y'all. He don't need me. This, I tell people all the time, this church could blow up right now. We'd be dead as doorknobs. And guess what? People still going to come to Christ. People still going to get disciple. God's kingdom still going to come with all us dead. Do you believe that? You know what that should do, though? That should free you. That should just free you. Like, yeah, this is it. Wow, I could just freely love Jesus. I can walk with God. Man, it should make you want to lead. It's not on you. It's a great, cool balance of what the Lord does there. Guys, there's no boasting. Morally desperate people, hopeless people before a holy God. That's good news. And it doesn't change when you become a Christian. You don't believe me that that's the essence of the gospel? Look what he says in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Great passage. Hopefully when you read this passage next time, you'll think about this. What we're talking about in Acts 17. He's saying, man, I'm not, you're not made by, I'm not made by hands. No one can control me. I made you. Look what it says. It says, even the son of man did not come to be served. You see that? He, he didn't come so you can come out and share your faith. And like, that's not why he came. Now, don't get me wrong. As your pastor, I want your marriages to be tight. I want them to be just fruitful. I want individuals in here right now single to find their identity in Christ. I want you to, I want your jobs to be secure, right? I want all that for us. But that's not the reason why Jesus came. You can't mix those up. You hear me? I know we get scared because what about the social reality of life and justice? I I'm telling you, here's what the Lord says. You see what he says in, in verse 45? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, right? As a ransom for many. He did not need us. He came to serve. He came to serve us. Why? Because we needed serving. We needed serving. Continue on. It's a fine line as ministers to... Uh, to talk about the reality of our, our practical needs and the sufficiency of Christ. He continues on and says, verse 26, and he made from one man. So he talks about this reality of you didn't make God. God made you, right? You can't serve him. You can't appease him. He didn't go, man, man, that, that, that butternut scotch, you know, pudding you made was just awesome. Like he's not, you can't do things for Jesus. And he goes, okay, no one ever served me, but that was off the chain. That's not happening, Right? So you're not doing things to, to get his approval. And then he says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. I love this. Having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. A couple of things. First, he's the maker of our ethnic groups. Love that, right? 
He tells us he made all ethnic groups. And how did he make them? From one man. Why is that important? Because guess what? All the different races and all this culture we got didn't come because of just genetic mutation. God is saying that it all came from one. You know why that's really important? Because in this day and age, we need to understand and find a high value in the Imago data, image of God. And what God is saying there is that every man was made from the one man who was made from the image of God. Why is that important? So that means every man that you see, this, this, what this does, it spits in the face of racism. It spits in the face of, of ageism. It spits in the face of sexism. You can't be a bigot and be a Christian. Because God is saying he made um, humanity out of his image. And then when we jacked that up, he remade a new humanity in Christ. He had to make two humans for us. So this is what God is saying. He said, I remade humanity for you so that when you see people, you just go, oh, man, I had a propensity to be racist there. I got to remember, oh, God made all of us. I ain't no better than him or her. He made from one every ethnos, every ethnicity is what the scriptures are saying. Why is that important here? Because those first century Athenians, you know, what they thought. I don't get the word right. It's called like octophones, octophones. Um, it was basically these guys thought that they came from like just this native soil and they were just native. They were immigrants from some other people. Like all y'all, I don't know where y'all from, but we from this little area. They, they wanted to separate themselves. And so why does Paul, I mean, you think about all the times that Paul preached the gospel in Acts. When has he ever talked? He, he, he specifically talks about this ethnic piece. He's saying, guess what? You arrogant Athenians? No. God made all y'all. So guess what? The barbarians were made from the same people as you were made. Ah, what? Yes. The Scythians, they're your cousins. Uh, what? You see what he's trying to do here? He's trying to humble these cats and say, no, everybody come from one person. So now we got to rid that. Rid the racism. As a community, we are going to always have to wrestle with this because we are a diverse community. And my prayer is for us to not just be a diverse community, but that we celebrate our unity and diversity. That you guys, that the white people in here and the Asians in here and the black folks in here, we go and we tell people about what God is doing at MacAff. And you celebrate what the Lord is doing because it's a model of the gospel. When you see people come together in commonality with uncommonality, that honors Christ. That honors Jesus. Right? And so here's what's happening. The reason why this is really important, guys, we're going to go home real soon. Thank you for giving me a little more time. To find your significance. When you look at this passage, understanding God created us in Imago Dei, the image of God. When you find your significance in race or ethnicity and all that, it's, it's God is saying, and you, and you put that up against the image of God. It's, it's, he's saying, it's, it's like you, you go into a, um, a machete fight with a 24-inch blade machete and you got nail clippers. Right? It's, it, it's, it's stupid. It doesn't make sense. He's saying you can't ever do that. You can't ever put on the same scale ethnicity and image of God. Now, does, do nail clippers have their place? Yes, when you're clipping your nails. Right? But you don't bring nail clippers when someone's trying to stab you with a machete. Okay? And so God is saying, yes, ethnicity has its place. Very important. God created us with different ethnicity. He wants us to celebrate that. It dishonors God to act like you're not Asian or black or white. You understand that? At the same time, it does not. It pales in comparison to you being made newly human in Christ. It pales. It pales. It pales. Your identity as a Christian and a human in Jesus is here. And you as a white or black or whatever you are is here. It's important, but it ain't that important. 
And notice what he says in verse 26. Look at your text. He says, and he allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. And that's interesting. Now, why does he say that? Because he's trying to tell you why he did that. Verse 27. He says that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he actually is actually not far from each of us. Now, I love this. Um, here's what he's doing. He's trying, to re, he's trying to talk about the reality of the boundaries. He's saying the reason why, and this is Romans 1. Now think about it. The reason why God created the world and earth and, and you don't, we don't fall off and, and we don't just die and don't, can't have oxygen and, and there's food to eat and all this stuff. Because he did all that so that when you did pick a berry and eat something and you walked around and thought, oh my goodness, I can walk and I'm not drowning. There's water over there and I'm over here. Oh my goodness. And you would go, somebody did this for me. Somebody gave me a berry. Look at the bird. I'm going to shoot the bird and eat the bird. Somebody gave me a bird. Oh my goodness. Like God gave, uh, who, who? Missy, who did all this? It made me want to ask questions. So God has sent a reason why he made boundaries and did all this. So it would make you ask about God. Think about it. We retell that story all the time. Think about our kids. And don't get me wrong, all analogies break down. But I thought about it like, that's just families, right? Like that's why when someone takes care of you all the time, you just can't help but to call them daddy and mommy. Right? Right? I mean... Right, and that's why when someone is adopted into a new family, as it were, and they find out that Betty's been feeding them and clothing them, and then one day they realize that Ben is their daddy, they go, he ain't my daddy. This is my mom and daddy. You know who's been providing for me? You know who's been caring for me and serving me? Am I right? We, that's brokenness, but that actually retells an attribute of God. He's saying creators create things for the created, and then he wants the created to go, man, thanks for doing that. Thanks for paying the bills. Thanks, Joshua. He come in. You know what? It'd be messed up. He come in. Well, what are we going to eat today, Daddy? He doesn't, though, does he? He goes in. He goes in and gets an apple. Man, praise the Lord. I got parents. You know who, who gave me the apple? Daddy and Mommy. Hi, Daddy and Mommy. He didn't call Frank Patty Daddy and Mommy because Frank Patty ain't give him an apple. You feeling me though? Oh, sorry, Frank. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> you, you, you see the theological truth there though? God is saying he takes care of his people. He provides for them. He, he provides this area for them. And he wants them to go. And that's what Romans 1 is about. He says that you should see from the creation and the things I've made and the leaf and all these things. It should make you say, who's this beautiful God? But then we don't. So that's what he's talking about here. I love that. We retell that story in our lives, and which, by the way, I propose, that's why it's very important um, that parents, I, I propose, is a, a huge retelling of the gospel story as we live life. But I would tell you a lot of things that we do actually retells the gospel story. Verse 28, um, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of you on poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. So just think about it. He's saying this stuff to him. He's helping him understand you're not self-sufficient. God has given you everything. You didn't make God. God made you. God made all the stuff for you so that you can go. God made this stuff. He's like, don't be stupid. If you're really honest, you realize you didn't make this stuff. At the end of the day, I sit out and look at my van. If I'm humble enough, I go, you know what? I did not make this van. I bought it. Right? At some point, we got to quit, quit playing games. So Paul's like, let's quit playing games. God made you, you didn't make him. Let's do this. So then he says, we move because of God. We live because of God. We have our being because of him. We are his offspring. He made us, verse 29. Being then, I love, I love, I love when he does these conclusions. I, I, you just do this to people sometimes. When you're talking to gospel in the community, you got to do that. Don't be apologetic about gospel truth. 
When God has made something really clear, talk about it like it's clear. I do that a lot. And you know what? Unbelievers go, yeah, I guess you're right. When you say it like that, when you say things like, when you say, like, look at what he says. He says, he doesn't make this a debate, right? He says, so being then God's offspring, you know what's that? They didn't believe that. But he's like, so being God's offspring, the one I'm telling you about, they ain't debate, it makes sense, right? You ever say, say that just makes sense, right, man, that, that God created everything? They'd be like, yeah, I guess. Practice that. Ask the Lord to give you grace to practice good theological truths that are just that are filled with common grace and saying them without debate. He says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being like is like the gold or or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's like, guys, remember? Hey, he's like, Johnny, you know you made that statue. Come on, man, you know you made that. Why you got all these people worshiping that statue when you know you made that in your living room? <laughs> right? What you doing? What are you? At some point, he's, 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 trying, he's trying to show with, with humility, but honesty, just the, the, the ridiculous notions. He goes on. And he's just really hitting them with this um, doctrine of man. That's what he's doing, right? God, we're created by God. God knows us. He's saying, dudes, this is silliness. And it's beyond us. Verse 30, the times of ignorance. I love that. See what he does? I'm telling you, isn't this powerful? He's talking to the most learned people. He's talking to the religious police. And he says, guys, 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 guys. All right, all right. Look, man, I get it, man. We all jacked up. We all ignorant. The time has to stop. Right, verse 30. The times of ignorance, he says, God overlooked. God was gracious. You know, when we were all acting stupid and worshiping things that Johnny made and all that stuff. I get it, you know. We all do that. He says, now there comes a time. We need to, we need to figure it out. He says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He says, now God has revealed himself in Christ. And he's given us a way in Christ. And now it's time to repent. So what is he saying to the first century Jew? What is he saying to the first century Greek? What is he saying to the individual in this room in 2015? He's saying, guess what? I know there was times when you felt like, man, I'm addicted to, you know, sex. I'm, I'm, I love cheating on things and I love just backbiting and being conniving. And, and I, I just thought, you know, this is a dog eat dog world. That's what people do in America. You try to get ahead. You know what I'm saying? And I know that I've been trying to stack my bank and my cheese and trying to get this degree and that degree to get ahead in the world. That's just what we do in a dog eat dog world. You know, I'm just doing that. And God says, yeah, I know that's how it is in the flesh, but guess what? Jesus came. Now Jesus said, stop all that madness. You can get your degree, but don't worship the degree. Stop all that madness. Repent of your idol world. I'm giving you a chance right now to repent. So he's saying, he said, I get it. But now Jesus has revealed himself. So think about it. He's saying right now, look at your idols. Look at your areas. Are you being religious? Are you hiding idols? Like the little, you know, that little Santa elf thing that people have hot around all over the house. What, what you doing with your life where you know you got stuff? And he's saying, look, he said, don't. Don't mock God, family. My prayer is under our leadership. We want every person under our voice to be saved by grace through faith. Look what he says. 
Repent. Repent of your, your false conceptions of God. Repent of your false gods. He says, I want you to clean house by God's grace. Verse 31, because he has fought, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And on this, he has given assurance uh, to all by raising from the dead. He says two things. He says, first, God named a dude. He says, we, we, we ain't sitting around with this unknown God. He says, he named him. It's Jesus. He's Jesus. And he says, God has not only said there's going to be righteous judgment, which blew their doors. Oh, my goodness. There's going to be righteous judgment. There's going to be judgment. That was not a thing in the, in the milieu of a, of a first century Greek. He says, yes, God is going to judge you for everything. They saw the platonic thought that you had this basically evil body and you had this good soul. And then they would just kind of depart and the soul would go ahead and float off like Casper forever and be in uh, what they call it, the, dil- the Dilmiurge or the, I uh, forget what it is. I got some of my, my, ph- my ph- philosophy people here and they would just float off, right? He says, no, 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 no. God created all this. And he's going to keep all this. And he's going to re- remake all this and resurrect your body and your soul. And you're going to be with Jesus or your body and your soul is going to be burning forever in hell. He said, there'll be a righteous judgment. Right? And he says, and Jesus is going to provide that judgment. The one who died for you. So live for him. And he says, and if you don't believe that, the reason why I'm sitting here right now preaching to you guys and and almost about to get killed three or four times is because he rose from the dead. I ain't just saying this, but they can't find a body, man. And y'all want to find a body. Y'all know y'all want me to shut up, so find a body. But you can't because I saw the body went. Um, and then he finally ends up by saying, now, when they heard of the resurrection, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And I love that. So, all that preaching, all that good truth, and they laughed at him <laughs> and mocked him. Three times gospel, they mocked him, right? Would that shake you? Would that shake your faith? Not only did they mock him, some of them said, oh, that was cool. That was some good insight, man. Can you come back later and tell, say it again? Not even, not even convinced. Just kind of like, I just like hearing good people say cool things. You're a good speaker. Come on back. So Paul went out from their midst. Look what the scriptures say. He dipped. Y'all crazy, right? And he says, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius, I don't know how to say his name, and uh, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. I just love this ending passage here, because here's a, the most decorated theologian in civilized history, and yet they laughed at him. And only, it's just only a few. It gives you a couple of names. Some people came to Christ. He left and says, Paul left. Okay, I, I preached the gospel. You don't hear any mentions of baptisms. You don't hear any mentions of churches started. You don't know what really happened in Athens. The closest place is Corinth. We hear something in Corinth that's still in the same region of Achaia. But when you talk about the region of Achaia in the New Testament, it never mentions Athens. It only talks about Corinth. I wonder if there was not much fruit. Hard hearts. It's bad news to prideful people. The conclusion, guys, you think about what, what do I do? What does God want me to learn? What is the author telling me? I would say four big things. Um, man, the gospel, what it does, it really rocks um, the idols and security of the hearer. We talked about that last week. The gospel, what it does, if you, if you hear the gospel, if you're here right now, I'm proposing if you're not if you're sitting here still cheating on your girlfriend and just just dishonoring God, 
not trusting God, I want to propose to you, um, you don't understand that the, the gospel is, is confronting those idols, and he, he rocks the security. I know that right now you're like, man, what am I going to do with this? What, what do I do with this? And the gospel is the power of God. I mean, you know, it talks about this in Romans. The gospel is the power of God and it's the salvation for all who believes. I just want us to be enamored and excited about the, the power of the gospel. And that we would take that out. And, we would do, and in our families, we would love each other in light of the gospel. We would preach the gospel to each other. And that the unwise comes in many forms. You know, people think the unwise are people who are uneducated, can't read the Bible. It's crazy. It's, not, it's a lie. I love the most, the most astute, intelligent people ever are still dead in sin and separated from the life of God because of their pride. And then finally, um, truthfulness of your religion is showing your worship at the end of the day. People say, I'm really religious. You, you talk to, I talk to people all the time. I'm, yeah, I'm really religious. I, I just believe that, you know, we all have religion. Say something crazy or silly like that. You ever had that? But, but religion is showing the object of your worship. That's Paul Ho's point. Paul's point was, hey, the reason why I know your religious is jacked up because you're serving something that's not true. That if a person is not putting their faith, their heart, their, 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 their understanding, their trust, their affections in the person of Jesus Christ, you have bad religion. And don't miss me here. Sometimes we can have faith in faith. That's not Bible faith. God ain't asked you to have faith in you believing. God wants you to believe in Jesus. Right? Faith doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus saves you. Jesus will be the one who will save you. God won't go, wow, you're a really big believer. In what? So how do we apply that as a local body, guys? Hopefully encouraging our own lives. Hopefully men, we're leading well. My prayer is that this would encourage us, as I'm pretty sure the first century person read that, and it's just in their soul, they just got encouraged, like, yes, I want to continue to fight like Paul. He's fighting hard. He's preaching the gospel. He's having integrity. Now, we say, look at our weeks. What is it like for us to have that kind of integrity, to fight hard, to understand the good news, and to present the good news to people in ways that honor Christ? Um, you guys have been gracious. Every week I say the sermons are going to get shorter and they get longer. I'm going to work on that. Here's what I want to do. I want to do a time of, of communion and a time of a tithe and offering, okay? Think about what we're talking about here. And guys, if you need prayer, if you're, if you're that person who's broken right now, you're like, man, okay, yeah, that was a great sermon. That was good, good theological truth. But no, I'm hurting. I need, I need God's grace in my life. I want you to come up and I'll pray with you. Uh, we have elders. We have Pastor Leon. Uh, elders around this room, uh, we can actually have a few even in the back. We want to pray. You can tap a neighbor and say, this is spend time praying. But I want you to leave in here just going, man, yep, good stuff. Going through the motions, I'll continue to carry my big old sin pack. You know, as I think of like little Christian and uh, pilgrim's progress, I'll keep carrying it. I want you to be like Jesus, what he, what he promised us. You can give that sin over to Christ and you can be freed up. So let's not play church. I pray. If you, if, you have, if you need prayer, let me know. We do tithe and offering because we love Jesus. He's given us everything as we read the scriptures. He created us. He's done it.